0: In the last few sermons, we've been looking at the faithlessness of David. This man after God's own heart was still just a man after all. Even though he had been faithful in many ways, we see that when Saul got after him to seek his life, he resorted not to the power of God, but to the schemes of men in order to preserve his own life. Today, we begin looking at the results of his faithlessness. Sometimes we think it's just a small thing to be unfaithful, but we're going to see that sometimes unfaithfulness leads to dire results. In the case of David, it ultimately led to death and indignity. Join us today and tomorrow as we see the results of the faithlessness of David. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Tears blot my eyes, I cry to Recall just by way of quick review that uh, we started out reminding ourselves that from the 17th, or sorry, the 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st chapters of 1 Samuel, that we're at a point in David's life where his faith has lapsed. He has not been as faithful as we know David generally to be in his life. Uh, we saw this morning or reviewed this morning the fact that. When the time came for Saul to uh, set a watch over his house, that he was going to come get him, and I believe it's the 18th, 19th chapter there, that uh, David, instead of trusting God to uh, take care of him, he concocted a plan, a deceitful plan, where he would flee out the window, and uh, his wife, Saul's daughter Michael, would would place a, a dummy in the in the bed and cover it up as if it was him and and then lie to Saul about the fact that you know if you remember she told Saul that he threatened me he threatened me and otherwise I'd have never done it, Daddy. You know, but uh, but uh, but that's not the truth and that's not what happened. And, and of course we I, always, I love that and I I know this is the, probably the third time I've gone to it, but I just got to say it again how amazing it is to see what God can do if we will just step out of the way and quit trying to devise our own plans. You know, David fled. And you say, well, that's the wise thing to do, right? <laughs> well, it goes to Samuel. And Samuel is also uh, uh, in the crosshairs of Saul, if you will, for harboring a fugitive. And, uh, and so what happens when Saul goes down to Samuel? Uh, he sends two different sets of companies to go take David and, and Samuel's presiding over the prophets and they're prophesying and here come those messengers down and the next thing you know, they're prophesying. <laughs> so Saul, as we said this morning, Saul says, well, if you're going to do a job, if you're going to do it right, you've got to do it yourself. So Saul goes down there and not only does Saul... Prophesy, just like those others, he strips off all his clothes and falls down naked and prophesies. You know, that's pretty strong protection from the Spirit of God, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I believe that's pretty strong. That's not something that you see every day, as we said this morning. And so, David could have relied on God because David was already the king. Now, remember, we're not talking about a pretender to the throne. We're, talk, we're not talking about an, a, a crown prince. We're not talking about an heir in waiting. He's not, he is the king of Israel in the sight of God. Samuel has anointed him. He, God has taken away the kingdom from Saul. Saul still sits on the throne. He's got all the power and the authority. I get that from an earthly standpoint. But David is, in fact, the king. And we saw him acting in a faithless way, and we looked at some of the reasons, maybe, the roots of that faithlessness. Forgetting God's promises and trying to uh, not recognize in the fact that he is a chosen vessel of God. You know, he tried to, uh, the king kept trying to marry him off to his daughters. You know, he said, that's part of, you know, I'm going to marry to Mirab. Then he didn't let him marry him. And and, uh, David both times said, I'm just not worthy to be the son-in-law of the king. You know, who says? (laughs) Who says so? God, he's a vessel of God. He's already the king. Child of God, as we said this morning, We are chosen vessels of God. And I recognize that we are sorry, low-down sinners, but let me say to you that when God looks at us now, He sees not vessels of unworthiness, but vessels of worthiness to serve Him. Not because we're worthy in ourselves, but because His Son was worthy, and we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So we saw the roots of David's faithlessness, and we saw the comfort that David found, even in the midst of that, in the providence of God, by providing him one true f- friend named Jonathan, and we saw in the twentieth chapter how Jonathan helped to deliver David and helped to um, and chose David, if you will, over his own father. And then, as we go on tonight into chapter twenty-one, we're going to see the results of David's faithlessness. The results of David's faithlessness. And and let me just say to you that. <laughs> The results of faithlessness can be severe. Not only for you, but for those that rely upon you and for those around you. And the first thing we see is David and Ahimelech in chapter 21 and verses 1 through 9. Let's just read this. In chapter 21 and verse 1, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? Ahimelech was no fool. He knew something was up, okay? And David said unto him, elect the priest. Now listen to this. This is David's response. Remember, David's in a place where he's not walking by faith anymore. He's he's trying to manipulate his circumstances. So here's what David's story is. The king hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, i just ask you a question. Is that true? <laughs> no, it's not true. It's not true. It's, a it's an outright lie on the part of David. Right. But see, David's afraid now, and David's not walking by sight anymore. He's not, you know, even seeing what happened in the presence of Samuel, when Saul himself came down there, David has lost faith. He has not learned the lesson. You know, you'd think you'd say, David, knock, 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 wake up. Saul was prophesying naked. Okay, that's a big—that's a sight to see. You know, that's something you don't see every day. Uh, you think God might be able to protect you if He can make the king strip down and act a fool? Surely He can protect you. You know, right. but you know, I can see David's line of thinking though. It's like, well, that's, that's Samuel. He's a preacher. You know, he's a prophet. That's a, now, Let me let me say to you in the congregation, you, you who aren't preachers. Often people and there's a let me let me just say to you there's a special calling that only a preacher has. Okay, we always talk we often talk about God's calling me to this, calling me to that. Well, right. God leads all of us, okay, but He only calls preachers. Right. There's no calling into the music. There's no calling into. You know, I've been called to be district attorney. No, I have not. I chose that. <laughs> I chose that, much to my chagrin, very often. I chose that, you know. Sometimes we get to we get into the situations where we feel like, oh, I've just been called to this particular job. You've not been called to any job. You've been led there, maybe, and you've been providentially guided, but there's a special calling for preachers, okay? I get that. It's a treasure in earthen vessels, okay? Now, that's not, let me just say to you that. That's not lifting preachers up above Amen. the rest of the congregation because preachers are actually down below. You know, you know what Paul says we are? Paul says we're fools. <laughs> we're fools. <laughs> So what are you as a preacher? I'm a fool. Or <laughs> a preacher. Six of one half does the other, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, Brother David, I love that story. I, I can't tell it like him, so I won't try. But, but about losing your marbles, that's, that's kind of what it takes to, to be a preacher, okay? Uh, but uh, so we're not better or higher than, it's a, but it is a treasure, and it, but it is an earthen vessels. as Brother Buddy prayed earlier. Now, having said that, sometimes I was guilty of this, and you may have been guilty of this. Say, well, you're the preacher. I'm not. (laughs) Things are different with you. Things are special for you as a preacher. Uh, Well, you know, I get that, preacher. You can be faithful. Because you're a preacher, you know? You've been called, so, so you can be faithful. But now, I'm a regular guy, you know? I'm, I'm out here living in the real world, if you will. <laughs> you know, let me tell you, I just will say this. Especially if you're a preacher that also has a secular job, you're living in the real world, okay? <laughs> it's uh, realer than you want it to be, often. But, uh, but sometimes we're guilty that. I can see David. I, now we're, I'm in furry here. Understand, this is not written in the Word of God. But you ask the question, why did David... Under, I mean, again, I just have this vision in my mind of this big man that stands head and shoulders above everybody else, marching down there, Saul the king to take David away, taking his clothes off as he goes. You know, just all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's out there, King Midas, uh, with no clothes on, and he's preaching. You know? Uh, you know, that's a pretty amazing sight. And that's a pretty amazing way God protected David yeah. and Samuel. Uh, and yet David goes right on yeah. the same path he's on. Could David possibly have been saying, well, you know, that's Samuel. I mean, he's a, he's a called prophet. I mean, that's that's different than me. I'm, a, I'm just a little shepherd boy that God says I'm king, you know. I mean, I, I don't even feel much like a king. I'm just kind of a regular guy out here. See, David's faithlessness. It, don't, let's don't fall into that trap. Preachers are not different in that way wow. than anybody else. Wow. Okay, we have. I'm not so sure that we don't have a, a harder struggle walking by faith sometimes. So that, anyway, moving on here with what the story says. David says he he lies. He comes up with a story, and he says in verse three. Now, therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. So he's seeking. Food and, and and rest. And the priest answered David and said, "There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have have kept themselves at least from women." And David answered the priest and said unto him, "Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common. Is in a manner common. Yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel." So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now, up to this point, let's sort of summarize what's happened. David has gone down. He's left uh, Samuel the priest. He's gone to Nob, to the place where Ahimelech was, was a priest. And he's lied to Ahimelech, and he's asked for help from Ahimelech. You know, I I got this view of Ahimelech as having just something gnawing at him because, you know, the first thing he said was, you know, he was afraid. He said, well, what what are you doing down here alone? Something's up, right? But surely David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, won't lie to me. So David has told me this story. Okay, well, I feel better. And, you know, uh, I like Ahimelech because one thing we know about Ahimelech is he was not a legalist. He was not a legalist. Legally, that showbread was was hallowed and and it was not something that was to be used commonly for the purpose that he's using it here and um, he said well boy that must have been a great violation of the law and the lord was not pleased right well turn with me over to uh to mark chapter 2 and let's just see what the lord himself says about it mark chapter 2 in verse 23 and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the sabbath day and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn and the pharisees said unto him behold why do they on the sabbath day that which is not lawful now let me just say also to you sunday is a special day it's a day that we're supposed to be in the house of the lord i'm thankful the lord doesn't require all the things of us today that he required of them back then. you know there were certain washings and and sacrifices that had to be made all he really requires of us is that we be here when we have services. You know, we have services morning and night, okay? The Lord just says, if the church is open, you need to be there. You need Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, okay? Uh, but the Pharisees didn't understand that yet. And the, and the economy of the law had not changed yet. And they were saying, legally, these disciples are not doing what they should. And notice where Jesus goes to prove the point that the Sabbath is... Uh, uh, that uh, the Sabbath is, is something that was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He said, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was a hungry? He and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not awful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he says to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, all I want you to see from this is, is just be careful when you get legalistic. Amen. Be careful when you get legalistic. Right. I know people that try to, they, they try to walk so straight they'll break their back. Amen. You know. And there are churches that are legalistic. There are places you can go where where legalism is the rule of the day. I'm thankful it is not that way here. Now there are rules. There are there are things you know. There are things that we should not be doing and cannot do as children of God and remain in good standing with our church. You understand that. There are some things that you could do to to cause the church to have to withdraw its fellowship from you. Amen. But you know what? That ought to be the last resort, Amen. church. <laughs> I've known churches, Brother Buddy and I serve, are helping with a church in Las Vegas. As, as you know, some of you know the story of their history. Their, their, the goal of one of their former pastors apparently was to exclude as many people as possible. I mean, he's, he was going for the record, I believe. <laughs> just trying to, you know, 19 this time, 12 that time, let's do 20 over here. You know, it's just a, and, and let me say to you, church, we've had to do it. You know we've had to do it. Those of you that have been here since 2011 realize we've had to do it. But is it? It should always be, and it has been here, a last resort after long laboring with love. Yes. Okay? Ah- Ahimelech was not a legalist, and Jesus put his stamp of approval Amen. upon what he did. Yes, he did. There's nothing wrong with taking the bread, according to Jesus' own statement. But here's the problem the problem was not the taking of the bread, the problem was the lie. The lie that David told. You know, lying complicates life. <laughs> you know, if you just tell the truth, you don't ever have to remember which lie you told who. You know it? That's just so simple, isn't it? I mean, yeah. i got to tell you, I, I know uh, confession is always good for the soul, they say. It embarrasses me, but, uh, but it's also a good point here. I'll never forget when I was a kid, I heard about, I heard about something called laryngitis, you know, where you lose your voice. I thought that'd be pretty cool to lose your voice. So I started pretending to lose my voice. Okay? And I'd go around. I went around for about a day and a half or two days. And uh, I was about five, six years old, you know. And I went around for about you know, a day and a half or two days with, you know, whispering everywhere I went, you know, just like I didn't, I got laryngitis. So, and then, then all of a sudden, one, I forget what happened. I just never forget. I remember we were in the den and mama was there and daddy was there somewhere. And, and, and I saw something, I said, oh, 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 look there. there." Well, glory be, my voice came back, you know, it's kind of, you know, I forgot I was lying, you know, I forgot about it. And it just, you know, they were, uh, you know, anyway, y'all probably remember that, but uh, maybe you don't, but I remember it because it taught me a great lesson that if you just don't don't lie you don't have to worry about what you're doing okay or what you told <laughs> and i want to say to you this and i want you to keep this thought because we're going to come back to it and it's going to be a very sad thing that you're going to see lying lying can come back to haunt you Amen. Amen. david's lie david's lie here will come back to haunt him. look at verse seven this is an ominous verse in verse seven now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Dog, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. I love the way the Bible's written. There are some times when a little verse will be <coughs> inserted somewhere, and it'll give, it'll give you chills when you know the rest of the story. You know, there's a verse like that at the end of chapter 11, I believe it is, of 2 Samuel after David has done all that he can do to cover up his sin, even committing murder, and he's gotten it all taken care of, and everybody's covered, and nobody suspects him of being the bad guy except just a few in his inner circle. And it ends with this statement, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. That gives me chills when I read it. This gives me chills in another way because you're going to see that there's something important about this man Dove that will cause David's lie to come back and haunt him so David's on a journey in his faithlessness that takes him uh, away from Samuel where he should have stayed you know think about it you, wouldn't you think if I'm if I'm David said, well, you know I believe I'll be alright if I stay with Samuel, because the king can't touch him at least not with his clothes on you know <laughs> so he, he, the king can't get to him see and so but he leaves him and the next thing he does is he lies now I want you to notice verse 8. And David said unto Ahimelech, Is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. <laughs> Give it to me. Give it to me. And David of Ahimelech, So we've seen David and Ahimelech and now we're going to see David and Achish. Achish, the king of Gath. Notice in verse 10 what happens. David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, those of you who are Bible students will remember something about this and will notice something interesting about verses 8 and 9 and verse 10. Remember in verse 8 and 9, Ahimelech gives David the only sword that he has which is the sword of who? Goliath of Gath see Goliath came from a place called Gath and and David said there's none like that it was a very distinctive sword Uh, it was something you know particularly identifiable everybody knew about this sword now notice (laughs) David then says I'm going to take the sword of Goliath I'm going to go to his hometown (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm gonna to go to his hometown. I'm gonna I'm gonna go down there to where he was and, uh, and verse eleven and twelve, notice what he says, the servants of Achis said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did not they sing one to another of him in dances, saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, and David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And I want to say to David, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, he goes down there to uh, to Gath, trying to hide out from Saul, and he walks around displaying the sword of Goliath on his on his uh, uh, on his hip, and they're walking around and say, well that's that's Goliath's sword," and this is Goliath's hometown. <laughs> And listen, the the hit song had played down there, the hit song that that, uh, David slaying his 10,000s had played down there, and they didn't like it in Gath. (laughs) You know, you remember that 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 song didn't come into play until he had slain Goliath? And and they had slain their hometown boy? (laughs) Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message.